Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. I'm about to release years of thoughts and experiences that I've been withholding, and I hope you'll consider liberating yourself too. This is episode number 81. Hello, hello. You know it's about to get serious when I don't crack a joke or try to get clever in my intro for an episode. It's been a while since I went solo on the show, and it's time again to have an intimate conversation with you. Granted, it's going to be a one-way conversation at first, but I hope you'll feel compelled to open up and make it a two-way street once you're done listening. Heck, uh, make it a roundabout and include some friends and family who probably need this kind of frank discourse in their lives as well. I don't plan to tread carefully, so you may need to resist some impulses to tune out for a moment because there could be some, uh, did did he really go there moments? Uh, You may need to look inside yourself as well and wonder why some of what I'm about to say will make you somewhere between mildly or highly uncomfortable But as I said before, the the intentional act of me recording an episode and the deliberate act of you listening to an episode, something, by the way, I am so, so grateful for, means that you and I, yeah, we've got a relationship. And people in relationships, what do they do? They confide in each other, challenge each other, and let their genuine personalities and experiences come out. That's what's going to happen right now. Fully and maybe with only slight reservations. I'm confident we'll both come out the other end better people and better able to navigate a sometimes unfair, rather imperfect, and awfully uncertain world. Here we go. Now, originally, this podcast episode was intended to be a super long blog post on value of simple I actually created this document that I'm using as an outline for this episode about a year ago. It's late August 2015 as I published this, and parts of what I'm going to tell you are inspired by a number of folks. In a nutshell, I've, I've been holding back much of who I was, who I am, and really who I want to be. Uh, yeah, I know we all do this to some extent, but I think to myself, and I'm asking you, is that healthy? holding back who you are, who you want to be. Obviously, you got to know when to pull a few punches, to be diplomatic, uh, have some kind of tact in a certain social or cultural context. Uh, But as I heard Jada Selner say last year at the World Domination Summit, anything that compromises your health and relationships is not sustainable. Hiding behind a curtain Never showing the world your quirkiness, your flawed side, uh, the darkness, or even the rawness inside of you, that kind of stuff is unsustainable. At least it is for me. Uh, Carefully crafting my image at all times, that's unsustainable. Uh, If you're not convinced, I would encourage you to watch a Brene Brown TED Talk or read Amanda Palmer's incredibly no-holds-barred and beautifully written book, The Art of Asking. Really, I'm encouraged that a number of fantastic men as well are starting to get into the old, uh, hey, this whole vulnerability, candor, authenticity, being genuine, saying what we mean and feel thing is pretty great for both me and you. It's just really cool to see the fellas, uh, especially in my culture, where men are encouraged to be strong and to project and to not show their emotions and what's going on inside, uh, I'm seeing a a trend and a change, and it really makes me happy. In fact, besides the previously mentioned Brene Brown and Amanda Palmer and uh, a host of other smaller influences, it's three dudes who inspired this episode where I'm about to tell you many things I withheld, even from my family and best friends, sometimes for years. Uh, First up is Mike Rostowski, my personal hero when it comes to bearing your soul and breaking all the taboos that need to be broken. My first encounter with Mike was over two years ago when a friend told me that I needed to read an amazing blog post he wrote titled, What Are You Withholding? 
The context of that post was he wrote it with the intention of trying to sell tickets to his conference for men, something that really resonated with me because I was having the same struggle he was, only I was struggling selling tickets to my first event, which was Simple Rev 2014. Uh, Mike wrote in his blog post that the pressure of creating words that will move men to sign up is stunting my creativity. Something about it just doesn't feel genuine. I'm going to link to that blog post in the show notes at valueofsimple.com slash SASM081 because he goes way deeper than that, some of which I'll share with you in a little bit. Next is a guy who I commonly mention, quote, link to, and love having as a friend, Joshua Becker. He wrote a blog post on his Becoming Minimalist site last year called The Freedom of Authenticity and Seven of My Biggest Flaws. Reading that sucker, (laughs) that shook me to my core. I mean, here's a man I know well. Here's a fella who has sparked more change in me and thousands of others than just about anyone else. And he's openly admitting some of his deepest, maybe even some of the most unchangeable flaws that he has. Uh, Joshua started his blog post with these words. Nine months ago, Leo Babauta wrote a blog post titled, I Failed. Immediately upon reading it, I wished I had written it. It was good, and it was true and honest. But more importantly, it was freeing for both the reader and writer. Now, when I read what Joshua had written, I immediately thought, ah, dude, I wish I had said that. I know I'm a bit late to the game, but now I'm speaking up in the same spirit that Joshua did. And, And he continues in that post, There is great freedom in admitting our weaknesses. It removes the artificial walls that we have built around us. It provides the pathway to begin addressing our faults. It opens the door for accountability from others. It embraces a life of honesty with others and with ourselves. It offers opportunity to connect with others as they see themselves in our weaknesses. It allows others to love us for who we truly are. It reminds us we are not alone in our faults. To be human is to be weak. And yet, as much freedom as there is to be found in authenticity, it's still difficult. Admitting weakness still feels a lot like admitting weakness. But when there are so many advantages to be found in it, perhaps the greatest step is to admit our fear and humbly become transparent anyway. Allow me to start. I am flawed even more difficult to admit, I struggle with the same flaws over and over again. I know them intimately well and sometimes feel powerless to overcome them. Man, Joshua, (laughs) Uh, me too, buddy. Me too. Uh. The third man who inspired this episode is the same guy who inspired Joshua's blog post. The one, the only, Leo Babauta. He wrote something on Zen Habits simply titled, I Failed, and then proceeded to document major ways that he feels like a failure. I mean, this dude, Leo, is enormous in so many different circles. People look up to him. They think he's amazing, that he's flawless in some ways. But to hear Leo tell it, and I'll quote him for a moment because his stuff is just so dang powerful. Uh, He says, I feel this heaviness in my chest when I fail. It can make me feel like crying. I feel lonely and I want to give up. I want to fall on a bed and shut out the world. But that doesn't work because the feeling follows me into bed and it actually intensifies until finally I have to get out of bed to try to escape it. Failure can hurt. People get this idea about me that I am successful and disciplined and guru-like. I'm successful at life, but not in the way people imagine. I'm not disciplined. I'm certainly no guru. I fail all the time. And the heaviness can come in small doses or big waves, unpredictably. (laughs) Oh my goodness, Leo. Me too. Me freaking too, man. Uh, He then goes on to talk about how he fails at his diet, procrastination, mindful parenting, expectations, simplicity, learning. Things just about everyone struggles with at some point, if not all the gosh darn time. But the thing that really got me finally on the mic right now to record this episode, one year after declaring to myself that I was going to do this, 
It was a meetup at this year's World Domination Summit called Authentic Relating Games. It was masterfully facilitated by Crystal Brandt, who bills herself as an authenticity coach, and Josh Barrett, who bills himself as people's chief uncomfortable officer. Let me set the scene for you. Imagine yourself in an outer circle of people, standing about uh, three feet from a stranger in the inner circle, looking directly into each other's eyes. So you use 50 people on the inside circle, 50 people on the outside circle, and you are looking directly across an intimate distance into a stranger's eyes. Just doing that, not saying anything, just staring for 60 seconds. And really, you're trying to do more than staring. What you're trying to do is you're trying to authentically be with that person, to not just see them, but to be with them. And for so many people, that's so hard. Uh, I actually did this a little bit in 2014, and man, was it difficult. So I understood the context of the uh, game this year when I did it. And the first guy I did it with, he didn't know what to do. Uh, He was smiling and looking away, and, and I was just looking at him. Not unflinchingly, I would blink. He couldn't handle it. So we rotated after 60 seconds, and I got paired up with another stranger. And we had that kind of experience. And after the second time, I'm just, I'm buzzing. And then the third rotation around, the inner circle's moving one person to the left, and I'm standing still. That was my moment with Justin. And I didn't even know what his name was because we're, we don't say anything to each other. Just for 60 seconds, it's just me and Justin together, three feet apart. And about five seconds after we start this exercise, the 60 seconds of nonverbal communication, my whole body just starts tingling. And I'm standing there, and I, I can't say anything, and I'm looking down just for a brief moment wondering, where is this energy coming from? Like, is this coming from me? Is this coming from the dude across from me? Is this coming from the hundred people who are collectively doing this authentic relating all at the same time? (laughs) I had no idea where this full body buzz was coming for, but I turned my, uh, my arms out to Justin. You know, I rotated them and I lifted them up a little bit and I just said with my eyes, I'm like, Justin, like here, can, can you feel this? Like, can you feel this? Here, take some of this. Like, enjoy this experience the way that I'm enjoying it. And all I'm doing is I'm trying to say this with my arms and my eyes. It was, I don't even know how to describe it more than that. I mean, magical is one word that you can use. I've never experienced that kind of intimacy and that kind of connection with a total and complete stranger. There were other exercises in these authentic relating games. You can look them up online. They have these uh, chapters in various places, at least in the U.S. But other exercises like one of the ones that they did, it wasn't all nonverbal stuff. There were some verbal things as well. Uh, Another exercise was basically prompts. They would give you a sentence stem. Uh, One of them was, the thing I least want to tell anybody right now is... (laughs) imagine that so you're standing three feet away from a stranger and you're prompted to say the thing i least want to tell anybody right now is and you tell them what it is Uh, i actually told this person that i want to impress people all the time that despite the fact that i don't try to compare or compete i still somehow some way have this drive to just impress people and it drives me crazy but that was the thing that I least wanted to tell anyone right now. And of course, the thing I'm telling you. Uh, the next prompt was o- almost harder. They said, uh, here's the prompt. I am freaking amazing at dot, dot, dot. And you have to fill in the blank. And that, to me, this saying verbally to somebody, like you are just super, super awesome at something, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble just communicating about it right now, let alone actually being in person, uh, what it was that I'm freaking awesome at. Uh, At that moment, I said, I am freaking awesome at connecting people with each other. I genuinely feel that. I I genuinely believe that. And I'm proud. I'm so proud of my ability to connect people with each other. So anyway, if authentic relating games sounds like your idea of a good time, or you just want to experience something that will outright shatter social norms and help you discover a part of yourself... Uh, a, a source of human connection that you potentially never felt before, check out the Authentic Relating Games Handbook. I included a link in the show notes. Uh, you can find it at this short link, though. It's valueofsimple.com slash authentic relating.
Unlike Mike Rostowski, Joshua Becker, and Leo Babauta, who coincidentally have all attended WDS, uh, these men, I might point out, are leading in pretty much uncharted territory, uh, which is especially telling because as a man, and at least culturally, I mentioned this a moment ago, I'm not supposed to do what I'm about to do. I'm not still supposed to uncork this genie of vulnerability and authenticity. I can, that's something that I can never put in back in the bottle because, you know, men are strong and we're, we're rational, we're confident. <laughs> just saying that and putting the quotes around it, that is just total BS. Men are just as emotional, fearful, and timid as women. Uh, we just don't have the societal or the friendship outlets to channel our true thoughts into spoken words. So why am I saying these things to you? Well, first of all, there's a ton of relief. I, I, actually, no, it's, it's not quite relief. It's, it's freedom and vulnerability. I'm grateful for the people who have shown me what it means to be a truly authentic, genuine person, and I want to pass that gift along to you. I hope that you will continue the movement towards clarity and connection through candor after listening to what I have to say. And please encourage others to do this game. With that said, here's just a short list of the things that I'm scared of by publishing this episode. Uh, I'm scared that I'll say something raw. I'll use language that's too crude or otherwise just muck up something between my brain and my mouth and you're going to take it the wrong way. I'm scared that people will look down upon me as unredeemable in some ways. I'm scared that there's no take backs once I hit publish. The words I'm saying to you right now, these are permanent. They're going on the internet, and they'll be available pretty much for all time. I'm scared that I'm a giant hypocrite. I'm scared that you'll interpret what I'm about to say as self-absorbed, self-important, and more than anything, just radically unkind to myself and what I try to represent in the world. I'm scared that I'll need to explain, issue disclaimers, and provide way too much context for people to really understand why I feel the way I do and what the backstory is for all this mumbo jumbo that's currently spewing from my mouth. I'll keep the disclaimers low, but let me just insert one here. I have a freaking amazing life. My wife, Melinda, is the best partner I could ever end up with and the best that many, many people could invite into their lives. My sons, Grant and Clark, fill me up with joy and purpose the vast majority of the time. My extended family all loves each other. I know and I'm friends with some of the most inspiring, kick-butt-doing people across the world. That, uh, I can do what I want, when I want, and with who I want. And my freedom levels are sky high. Where I'm podcasting from right now, my living quarters, they are luxurious, My cabinets and fridge are filled with whatever food I could possibly want. I have instant access to electricity and water. (laughs) I could could go on and on. Uh, In other words, I'm intensely, intensely grateful for what I have, who I'm surrounded with, and what my potential is to do good in this world. But still, after all that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been withholding some of my authentic self from you for days, months, maybe even years. (laughs) I I claim that vulnerability and candor are some of my core values, and really they are, but am I sharing the dark thoughts, my real thoughts with you or anyone else on a regular basis? Hell no. Uh, After all, I'm supposed to be grateful for what I have, and I just told you I am. I really am. Uh, I should be content with the impact I make, (laughs) and I am, As a good minimalist, I'm supposed to be intentional with what I put into the world, sometimes true, sometimes not. I should be aware of and able to channel my inner self into words like Mike Rostowski does. And I should already have put my soul on display for you like Joshua Becker did. Me, myself, and I, I'm pretty sure there's just one dude. Uh, We're all aboard this crazy train, and you deserve to know where it's headed. Turn back now. If you don't want to know what scares me, thrills me, and drives me crazy or otherwise, I'm just going to start. I'm just going to start, even if nothing good comes out. Here goes. First up, I'm rich. 
in tons of non-financial ways, but I'm also financially rich. Like, really, really rich. My financial software, Quicken, tells me Melinda and I are worth more than a million dollars, and that doesn't even include the crazy sweet house I live in. Uh, Because of this richness, I feel like I don't need to make money. I can just go about my business, not having an actual business, at least not in the traditional sense with carefully scrutinized expenses, uh, focus on revenue, uh, P&L sheet, (laughs) whatever the heck that means. Seriously, I I don't even know. After a decade in the financial industry and being in meetings with the finance guys and three plus years in business for myself, P&L, profit and loss, maybe, probably, who knows? Honestly, I don't care. Uh, Now, granted, I don't have access to all of my family's riches. A lot of it is tied up in retirement accounts, investment accounts for my boys and other places, but it's still our money and we're still crazy rich. Uh, Almost any time I ask for money, uh, whether it's for a product like my experience curating book, uh, an event like Simple Rev 2015, or to become a Smart and Simple Matters patron on Patreon, you can't even consider it a soft sell. I mean, listen back to some previous episodes at the start or the finish. Listen to these things that I call call to actions, where I'm trying to get you to take a specific action. Do you believe that my heart is in it? Uh, Oftentimes, it's not when I tell you to do something or that here's a way that you can support me. Um, My soft sell, (laughs) it's really a no sell. My heart is just generally not in it. Despite my friends, they tell me it's okay to make money doing the things you love. Podcasting, event organizing, leading workshops. I love those things. And whenever I ask for someone else's money in exchange for my time or something that I've created a value, really, I do it from a place of gratitude, not from a place of desperation or from a sense of entitlement. Uh, Still, it's just wicked hard to ask people for their money. I mean, on one hand, of course, I want you to support me. I want you to support this show on Patreon because I can use your financial support to directly enhance the show and increase the time I spend producing it. On the other hand, I'm thinking, Joel, why should anyone support this rich dude? You, who can still do the work himself. Uh, So there's one big thing that I've been withholding from you. I'm really, really rich. Next on the withholding list. And man, uh, this one's a toughie too. So three minutes before creating the document that became the outline for this episode, um, my golden retriever Emski was barking to come in the house. Now, he does this all the time. It's annoying. He barks loudly, repetitively. And my attention is precious, right? Dogs are outdoor creatures. They're supposed to be comfortable outside for more than a split second, right? And often Emski just wants to immediately come back in. Uh, at that point in time, I just, I snapped. I totally lost it. I slammed my fist down on my desk. I flew out of my seat and shouted at him as I opened the door. I, just, I said, shut up, shut up, shut up. Now, I'm not yelling at the decimal level that I was yelling at Emski in your ears because um, you probably freak out and you never listen to me again. But it was loud, it was fierce, and it was me at my angriest, just intensely angry. Just just remembering that is, is agitating me. And I've taken my general frustration out on my dogs before. Uh, and the reason I do it is because, <laughs> really, uh, if I'm being honest, and I am today, uh, and I hope to be honest with you from now on forward, um, my dogs can't tell on me. You know, my words emotionally impact them like they would one of my sons. But I would never, never, ever dream of yelling at my kids like I've done to my dogs. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm a pretty good pack leader. I walk my dogs every day, even when it's negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit wind chill. Uh, they always get fed. Medications applied on schedule. Uh, I pet them not as often as I'd like, but I pet them. I let them in and out of the house all the time. But really, just talking about petting them, I've gone days without petting my dogs. And I claim to love my dogs. And I think about that and I reflect upon it. I'm like, do you really love your dogs? If you can go days without touching them, would you ever do that with your wife? Would you ever do that with your kids? I mean, can you imagine? Imagine your kid or your partner or your parents or your best friend all in your direct presence for days straight. 
refusing to hug you or touch you once. Once. Now, if you're a dog or a person, don't you think that's going to cause you some anguish? This person who loves you, this person you depend on, they won't even touch you. Would it make you question your self-worth? I, I know it would for me, and uh, that's basically what I've subjected my dogs to. Oh boy, uh, now the floodgates are really opening up. I'm going to continue, and uh, really, I'm glad you're still listening. Uh, here we go with some Simple Rev stuff. Uh, you know uh, what I feel sometimes when it comes to Simple Rev? I feel entitled. Man, I feel entitled. Uh, Mike Rostowski said it well in the blog post I was telling you about just a little while ago about what he was withholding when he wrote about his conference for men. Uh, he said, I felt like a father who's been working 80 hours a week just to put food on the table and keep a roof over my family's head. And then when Mike asks one of his sons to grab some milk from the store and he, his son completely ignores him, he just completely loses it. And, and Mike's thinking, and, and I'm reading from his blog post right now, he's channeling this, this thought. He's like, do you know how effing hard I work every day to keep you and your mother and your sisters off the street? Do you think I like working two full-time jobs just to keep this family from falling apart? And then I ask you to drive two minutes to the convenience store and you ignore me because you're too busy to look up from your Angry Birds game? That's how I feel about uh, the attention I get, uh, <laughs> or most days, rather, uh, the lack of attention I get with Simple Rev. Uh, it's, it's almost like I'm Mike and I'm, I'm this entitled father and I'm expecting something from my kids. You know, hey, you, you simple living people, you're my people. Like, I own you in some way. I've, I'm busting my hump for almost two years now to build something for you, you know, something you can belong to and grow in. And what? You don't care? You ignore me? You tell me that my event ticket prices are too high without acknowledging that I'm organizing a community building, simple living event without sponsors. It's non-commercial. It's totally bootstrapped and, and community led. You know, almost every other freaking event has sponsors, but we don't have them because you, the people who would come, you don't want them because we as a community, we don't want them. You don't want your workshop leaders or speakers to be hawking their books and products or services at you during the event. So we made this a commercial-free thing, right? We don't get a cut of anything sold during the event because there is nothing sold. We're commercial-free. And then you don't rally around the event. I spend hundreds of hours organizing and thousands of dollars out of my own pocket because I love the people in the Simple Living community, because I love Simple Living itself. (laughs) WTF, right? This is how I'm thinking some days. Now, if that doesn't sound like somebody who feels entitled, I don't know what does. And just getting myself worked up, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to right now, I'm channeling old me who thinks these thoughts, but that's still current me too. Uh, and really, furthermore, I'm withholding that I've sold 20 tickets out of the almost 75 available paid tickets to Simple Rev 2015 as of recording this. And just one ticket, just one single ticket that I've sold since April 1st, 2015. Can you believe that? You know, and even after reducing the price by $100 in a, I'll admit it was a desperate move to pack the house, which I feel obligated to do, uh, not for me, because you, you heard me, I'm rich, right? <laughs> I don't even care about money. Uh, but the awesome workshop leaders, the speakers, the storytellers, all the great participants, they deserve to have people there. They deserve to have a vibrant environment. Uh, and I'm withholding, uh, I'm just tell you right now, I'm withholding that I really don't want to organize another Simple Rev event unless I don't have to sell tickets to fund it. Now, I want to keep doing these events at this, what I keep calling the crossroads of simplicity and community. I want to do them so, so bad. But most of the hundreds of hours of work that leads up to it, I tell you, it is not fun. It is not fun at all. Uh, a lot of my tasks just plain suck. And none of the tasks suck more than trying to sell tickets to minimalists, you know, people who are just inherently frugal, folks, folks who aren't even online. Uh, here, here comes, like, you're probably hearing in my voice, Joel, you sound darn entitled again. Uh, but, you know, I almost want to say, hey, nobody else is going to pour all the resources into a community-oriented, simplicity-focused event for you. You see anybody else doing that kind of thing? So if you want me to do a Simple Rev 2016 or any other event, 
someone or a bunch of someone's is going to need to pony up a lot of money way ahead of time, or I'm just not subjecting myself to all the crap that goes along with all this organizing work. Now, if you hear me like I hear myself right now, I hear me using I and me, those words, a lot right now. And the, the thing is, Simple Rev isn't about me. I've said that all along, despite creating it and being the one who's doing 90% of the work on it for the past two years. Uh, but my fellow Simple Rev Brain Trust member, Sarah Wakecamp, I'm glad she called BS on me uh, a few months ago in May. You know, I claim that Simple Rev is a movement led by a leadership team. We call it the Simple Rev Brain Trust. But I try to control direction and I try to ensure perfection way too much. I'll just give you a, a quick little example here. Uh, this Simple Rev local gatherings thing that we have going on, which is going great uh, as, as I record this right now, uh, our Simple Rev local gatherings page didn't go live when it should have because I insisted on some rather unreasonable things. Uh, this concept of good enough, it just often isn't good enough for me. You know, I want outstanding, and in general, I'm going to wait until I get outstanding before moving forward. And of course, outstanding is my opinion of what outstanding is. If other people think it's outstanding and I don't, then maybe the brakes get put on. Uh, it, it, that, that kind of thing, though, it works great when I'm doing a freelance project management for a large brand, which I've done in the past, but that does not work well when I'm doing projects with, these are good friends of mine. We're trying to build something together. Nobody's getting paid for this. Um, I'm doing projects with friends who get frustrated they get demoralized and they feel like they're wasting their time because the things that they contribute don't see the light of day. I could go on and on with Simple Rev, uh, but I feel like I need to attend, uh, turn my attention elsewhere now. It's just, I understand why people write blog posts like Mike and Joshua and Leo. The, the tone of my voice right now, like the way that I'm getting myself worked up, like that kind of nuance that's lost in a blog post or in a book. You can hear full well. And again, this kind of goes back to something that I'm scared of as I'm recording this. Like, what if I get too worked up? What if I say something that I'm going to regret, which I already have said a few things? It's, this is, this is hard. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for continuing to listen. Uh, perhaps let's uh, shift to the topic that I'm generally most public about, uh, but I'm still withholding a ton on. I've spoken at length and pretty frequently about my addictions in the past and my current addictions. Uh, and really, it's weird. You know, after reading Lance Dodd's book, The Heart of Addiction, I have a completely different perspective on it. And really, it's the channels for my addiction that are the problem. You know, the, the heart of addiction, as Lance Dodds puts it, is being helpless or defenseless in certain circumstances. Like, if I want to put dinner on the table that I feel is the most healthy for my family, um, are they going to actually want to eat it? Sometimes the answer is no. And I feel helpless. Like I'm trying to do something good. I'm trying to be of service to my family and they won't do it. Um, that makes me sometimes go into a swirl. Like what's the point? What's the use in this? Or maybe with my son, Grant, getting him to do the things that I know in his are in his best interests, but that he refuses to do. Boom, right there. Can't control things, right? I feel helpless. So now I need to get into an addictive behavior, some kind of compulsion. Uh, and my major one for the last 30 years has been sugar. Uh, I've talked about it at length in lots of places on other interviews on Value Simple and previous Smart and Simple Matters episodes. Sugar, you know, I, I did episode 68 where I talked about my morning promises and one of them being all about sugar. Uh, I did uh, stick.com, which is paying a financial penalty when you break your promise. I had a promise not to eat sugary crap, and I broke that and had to pay um, money to my anti-charity, the thing that I am fundamentally opposed to. Uh, I wrote my most emotional blog post ever. It was called uh, Let's Do 99.1. <laughs> none of that, then none of that seemed to help or seems to help right now. I'm just as bad with my sugar issues now as I've ever been. Uh, video games, uh, you know, video games have been a big problem too. You know, I'm withholding just how scared I am of Grant getting his first video game system or even touching a video game on my phone, on my computer or anywhere else. I'm, uh, I'm terrified. 
that I might channel this, uh, this sense of hopelessness that I get every once in a while, the sense of defenselessness in life, you know, things not going the way that I want it to, just moving that into days spent at home playing video games instead of doing the work that I just fiercely believe will make me and the world a better place. Recording podcast episodes, for example. Uh, if you don't know my backstory about video games and uh, some of the shameful, <laughs> shameful details of how deep I've been absorbed into them over the years, I'll link to an article in the show notes that I wrote in 2011 called The Biggest Risk I Ever Took and Why I'm Better Off for Being Terrible. Uh, actually, that blog post was probably my first online attempt at showing my dark, true, and rather authentic side. Uh, I won't withhold how poorly I think it's written or formatted, but at least I appreciate how candid I let myself be. So what I'm withholding is the channel uh, for my um, defenselessness, for my hopelessness, uh, are especially sugar, just as bad as it always has been. I hope some year, some decade, I'll be able to say otherwise, but all of the things that have worked in the short term, nothing has worked in the long term. <sighs> okay. Um, do, you, do you see any parts of you in me with what I've been saying so far? Part of me hopes that the answer is no, that you're not messed up in the same kind of ways that I am. And uh, part of me hopes that you're... Uh, maybe you're near tears kind of like I am uh, because you you want to shout uh, Joel yes yes I know I know me too dude me too uh, the thing that's so hard about doing a podcast on, on what I'm withholding instead of a blog post and I'm sorry I'm a broken record at this point in time um, you can hear the emotion you can feel it directly uh, with writing, it's different. You know, the, the pounding on a keyboard while typing something, just banging on that keyboard, that doesn't transfer when you're reading it. Um, the gnashing of your teeth when you're describing something and you're just frustrated or angry, that doesn't show up in text. Uh, but you get it all with audio, which I guess uh, that's both a blessing and a curse. Uh, <laughs> just right now, I'm thinking, so sometimes I feel like I'm putting on a show, you know, that I'm over-dramatizing things that don't require drama. Uh, but then again, I apparently like to put on a show. You heard me say that I have a desire to impress people. Uh, I will exaggerate for no good reason. I do this weekly. I, like three of something that I ate will turn into six. Or 10 of something that I did or somebody else did will be 20. I don't understand. I don't understand why I do this, why I exaggerate, why I need to impress people. Uh, and talking about... Oh, all you really need to exercise is a good body rate routine and a place to sprint once in a while. This is what I tell people. And then I can call BS on myself because, yeah, I talk a good game when it comes to exercise, but I am not drinking my own medicine. Uh, no way. You know, I have not done more than 10 push-ups, squats, or 30 seconds holding a plank pose in two months, three months. Uh, curating recipes, like something that I want to do. You know, ooh, Mr. Fancy Pants experience curating here. He doesn't even curate one of the things that he needs most, recipes that his family will enjoy. They're just spread across notebooks and cookbooks and bookmarks in a browser, just a crazy hodgepodge spreadsheet that I'm embarrassed about and who knows where else. Um, so there you go. There's another one that I'm withholding. You know some ways that I put on a show and if you see me putting on a show, please call me on it and call me on them when you see or hear them. I really want you to call me on it. And then there's my relationships. <laughs> I feel like I'm swimming out into the middle of the ocean with sharks swirling on this one, but uh, I need to go here. Did you know that I often spend more time growing my relationships with new friends than cultivating a deeper relationship with my own brother, who lives only 15 minutes away from me? Did you know that I'm scared to initiate the I love you, I seriously love you sentence with the people I love? I'm afraid it'll make them feel awkward and hurt that they can't reciprocate because they aren't in the same headspace as I am. With men and with women, I feel like I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. With men, we just don't tell each other that we love each other. 
I found this, at least in my culture, to be almost universally true. And here's just one quick little tidbit to back up that claim. Uh, maybe you remember those Bud Light beer commercials from the 1990s, uh, the ones where there are these two, generally two guys, uh, they confess to each other at the end, I love you, man. I love you, man. It was always, that was the punchline. Like, they were funny to us because guys don't tell each other that they love each other, even when they truly do. I laughed. We laughed because we could never imagine two dudes genuinely, without awkwardness and with full intensity, telling each other, I love you, unless they're related by blood. That kind of thing, it, it was, it still is taboo in so many ways. And, and I'm here to say, I've withheld this, um, not from everyone, but I've withheld this from people. No, I love my dad and my brother. I tell them that. But I love my male friends too. Like you, Alex, Andrew, Anthony, Dan, Ethan, Joshua, Sal, Stu. I really, truly love you all. Uh, And am I going to say that to you the next time I see you face-to-face? Who knows? Uh, I hope I do, but I will... uh, Who knows? Going back to uh, the damned if you do, damned if you don't, uh, with women, on the other hand, at least in America, there's always that potential sexual tension or romantic undertones in me telling them, I love you. Now, I know that nothing sexual would ever come from my friendship with any woman. Now, I've often joked with Melinda that I never cheat on her because it just seems like way too much work. Uh, and besides, you know, being serious again, uh, she's more than enough for me. But still, still, that gender difference between men and women, it lurks in so many different ways. Um, I'll just tell you a quick story. Now, I went on a date with one of my all-time best friends, Jesse, who I interviewed in Smart and Simple Matters episode 31, uh, my sophomore year of college, almost 17 years ago and before Melinda and I were a thing. And the reason I still remember that date so vividly was it started by Jesse walking up to me when we met, strolling over with a big smile, and then starting off with a big kiss on my lips while I very, very awkwardly went in for a hug. Uh, We saw a movie, uh, who knows what. I I wasn't curating back then, and I wasn't paying any attention to the movie anyway with Jesse sitting next to me. Um, We made out some more after a long walk. It was just glorious. Now, fast forward to our next date, uh, what I refer to as the date that wasn't, and it was one that ended after about 10 minutes with Jesse telling me that our first date was essentially a mistake. Uh, And that just send me reeling emotionally. Uh, I remember walking back to my car, just crying uncontrollably, uh, crying in my car for about 15 minutes straight as I left her house. Uh, this The pain of rejection, I felt it just deeply for a couple of months. And it took a year, about a year for Jesse and I to resume our pre-first date friendship. Now, now, of course, it helped that I was with Melinda at that point in time, and of course, I was sufficiently spoken for, as far as most people were concerned, so that Jesse didn't need to feel worried about any lingering romantic awkwardness, because it was a little bit one-sided. I was very interested. She was not. Um, We've been the best of friends for about 15 years now, but there's a but here. Can you guess? Can you guess how long it took me to tell Jesse that I loved her? In a strictly platonic way, of course. You know, even just having to justify my love for a woman who's not my wife, that kind of thing just makes me chafe. Uh, But guess. Guess how long before I said, Jesse, I love you. 14 years. 14 freaking years. Uh, I felt uh, just a tremendous amount of love for this woman as an amazing human being for so long and I withheld that from her. I, I, I don't know why. Uh, who knows what reason? Uh, and why should I, or think about it, why should you have to withhold your affection toward another person because of the gender difference, uh, your history with them, some kind of cultural or ethnic identity, or any other reason? To me, that's insane. Yet, <laughs> I still do it. 
We still do it. How does that make sense? On what planet does that make sense to withhold your love for other people and to tell them that you love them? (sighs) Here's another thing about my relationships. Um, I'm not loyal to the absent. And this concept, I love this concept of being loyal to the absent, uh, something that my man Mike Burns over at the other side of complexity introduced me to in a great blog post. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And when you hear Mike tell it, uh, he says that when we tear people down, not in front of them, of course, but behind their backs, uh, we're not only hurting our relationship with them, but also the people we're talking to and the others around us who are listening in. If we make this habit of criticizing people behind their back, we're destroying trust with everyone around us. And really, what we're doing is we're leaving people with no choice but to wonder if we talk bad about them to other people when they're not around. When Mike says that he wants to be loyal to the absent, he means that if he's talking about somebody who isn't present, he wants to respect them the same way he would if they were listening. He wants to use words that uh, if that person found out what he was saying about them in front of them, he wouldn't be embarrassed about it. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I've been withholding. I talk about people behind their backs. Uh, Probably not that often, not nearly as much as the pre-personal renaissance version of Joel used to do, but still uh, often enough where I think, (laughs) Seslowski, why the heck are you dissing your friend right now? What's the point? here. Do you have a point? Are you trying to make yourself look better than them? Do you really want to talk smack about your friend or about this person that you think is an amazing human being? Uh, And it's just, it's not just that I do it, it's how casually that I do it, that I'm not loyal to the absent that gets me the most. Like it's just a man, it kind of happens thing. I can disrespect people behind their back. It's just what humans do. I need to get so much better here. Uh, And it it hurts just admitting that uh, I talk smack behind people's back once, let alone um, a, a kind of a routine once in a while thing. Uh, my last note on relationships, I just want to make one more. I, I've said this all along. This might not be a surprise to people who know me well, but to you, maybe I've been withholding it. Uh, I am I'm not a thoughtful person. You know, uh, people, they ask me, they see me uh, having all of these great friendships. I have a ton of great friends. I'm so, so grateful for that. Uh, but they're not my friend because I'm thoughtful. And often I need to be prompted to send a text to a friend who just had a baby. Like, congratulations, friend. Your life is irrevocably changed and hopefully better. Maybe I should acknowledge that somehow. Uh, I need to be prompted to call an aunt who absolutely loves to hear from me. Uh, I need to be prompted to give a small token of appreciation to my wife, who gives me everything I need and then some. Uh, sweet, <laughs> I'm noticing just sweet, sassy molassy. My transitions between thoughts and topics are horrendous right now. Uh, at least I can acknowledge it, and hopefully you can appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to hit two more categories before I stop blabbing into the mic, and the first one is about the work that I do. Uh, In general, my work, it doesn't feel like work. Right now, podcasting, uh, doing simple rev stuff, being involved in a mastermind group, I get get to do this stuff because I've decided it's what I want to do or feel compelled to do. Nobody is, is, when I wake up in the morning, no one's like, dude, Joel, got a podcast, got to be in this amazing mastermind group. Nobody's forcing me to do it. But, uh, oh, oh, do I spend time working? I, I, I don't do time tracking, but if I were to add up the time I spend doing all the things that I consider work, uh, there's uh, billing and membership behind the scenes work for my friend Emily and her online Putty Tribe community. There's uh, all the time I spend prepping for and recording and doing all this massive post-production for the Smart and Simple Matters episode. Uh, all the time I've sunk into Simple Rev and trying to build it into a legit movement. All the relationship building, the half-hearted marketing that I do, creating the infrastructure to become a really big deal someday, right? Because, you know, everybody deserves to be a really big deal, and probably about 100 other things. Uh, I I would estimate I work about 50 hours a week, which is almost as much as I did in the last few years of my corporate days. 
and I asked myself, uh, wasn't I supposed to regain my life and my time and rededicate my attention to the things that are more important than work? Uh, once I left my old job, uh, wasn't, wasn't I supposed to uphold the commitments I made uh, even when I don't want to? That's what a commitment is about, right? Like you uphold it because you committed to it. You do it whether you want to or not. Uh, and I'm withholding that I skipped writing my scheduled value of simple pulse check for the first time in three years. I don't feel bad about it. Uh, I'm, heck, I might permanently stop writing these quarterly updates on what's been happening with the behind the scenes and my work and stuff about my personal life and what's coming up in the future. Uh, plus, I would love to drop those depressing income and traffic reports that I still feel compelled to publish in the name of transparency. I, I don't like writing. I don't think it makes an impact. Uh, and since I'm withholding, I'm withholding that pretty much everything I publicly write feels just about worthless to me, uh, except for my experience curating book. I know that that's really good, mostly because I had an amazing editor. Aaron Kerup, thank you. Uh, just the sounds of crickets I get when I publish my writing only solidifies that. But I kind of suck at quitting. Uh, and when I finally do... Like, I should be celebrating ending my quarterly value of simple pulse checks. Uh, I don't celebrate ending them. That should have ended a long time ago, or maybe I should have never even started. I regret, and I lament, and I spin in circles in my mind about it. I, I just, I don't feel resourceful. You know, I love bootstrapping my business and projects, uh, probably because it frees me of the push to make money or think about money, because, you know, I'm always looking for a reason to deflect money uh, but I'm way too quick to ask someone else to help me out with a uh, website issue or uh, upcoming difficult conversation than to actually try to figure things out myself or intuitively search for the right words to figure out how I can solve it myself. Okay, I got one more for you. I hope you didn't think that I've been hitting the depressing button too frequently here because, man... Just listening to myself talk, uh, it's all for good reason. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But, um, you know, just one last thing. Uh, things that seem hard. Here's a true story. I was the kid who almost always gave up instantly when something new seemed hard. Drawing? <laughs> no way. Riding a bike? Yeah, maybe when I'm 10. Swimming or tying my own shoes? Goodness. No, thank you. I have somebody who will keep me out of a pool and a teacher who will tie my shoes. Uh, that kind of thought continued into my college days. I remember signing up for a computer programming class my sophomore year of college. I showed up for the first lecture, and I walked out of that classroom within 20 minutes, and then I went online to drop the class because it seemed way too hard. This assessment, like, I can't do it. I can't do computer programming. I made in 20 minutes. Now, if that's not a snap decision, I don't know what is, uh, that I couldn't program? I mean, how ridiculous is that? We all have the capacity for just about anything. But it seemed hard, so I thought, nope, not for me. Can't do it. Uh, you know what, though? I'm almost, I'm almost 36 years old now, and uh, I've withheld that I still, I still give up routinely when things seem hard which somehow in my mind is different than quitting. I don't know how, but I, I've had this goal for four years running to double my typing speed. And when I finally got around to taking action on it, three years after setting the goal, so earlier this year, I gave up in just a few short sessions because I wasn't making much progress. Uh, I mean, that and I used the excuse, it was an excuse, that my wrists were starting to hurt because of my new correct typing style, so I should stop, right? You have pain, you need to stop. Like I couldn't figure out what was causing my wrist to hurt and make some ergonomic adjustments. This is the kind of logic that goes on in my brain and the stories that I tell myself. Sometimes, sometimes I want to give up this entrepreneur lifestyle so that I can resume the standard expectations of society and find someone who will just pay me, will just pay me for something I'm already good at and will tell me what to do. And that's, that's the key part too is like nobody tells me what to do. That's both great and that both sucks a lot of the times. Uh, it's damn hard waking up most mornings and having to tell myself what to do. And this uh, self-employment, it's supposed to be liberating. But three and a half years into my self-employment, 
every once in a while, it's the employed and employment that sounds liberating. Doing some freelance project management lately, really, it's reminded me of what it's like to be in that been there, done that, I got this no problem territory. Except for this, what I'm doing right now, podcasting, save this episode, which I have no freaking idea what I'm doing. Um, That been there, done that, like I got this, that just feels so good. And I don't get that with self-employment. I could probably even get a project management job awfully quick, working on some really cool small business projects and uh, even making a six-figure income again if I wanted to. And every once in a while, I do. I do. Should I be admitting that? I guess screw it. I just did. (sighs) The problem with an episode like this, uh, the problem with pouring your heart out and laying bare the thoughts and experiences that you've kept hidden for so long uh, is that I just don't know where to stop. So I I guess I could continue, but stopping here seems uh, about right. It's probably time for a silver lining, right? Some kind of uplifting wrap-up that despite everything I just said, I'm still a decent dude, right? Um, <laughs> right now, uh, yeah, there is, there, is, there is redemption here. There is an upside. You know, I'm reminded of a section in Mike Rostowski's blog post uh, where he said, I'm withholding that despite everything that is weighing on my shoulders right now, I know with absolute clarity that I'm going to be okay. No matter what happens in the short term and long term, I will come out the other end better because of it. I will always be able to create value in the world. Life feels a little like riding a dragon right now. I thought I was steering him, but he's steering me. I'm even reminded of a passage, Joshua Becker's blog post, which I'll link to in the show notes, where he wrote, and this is great. So he writes, and the way that he writes it is just beautiful. Ah. There is great freedom and authenticity. I'm thankful for those who have gone before and modeled it for me. In a world where our public image can be meticulously crafted through Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and personal blogs, we must work hard to embrace our authenticity and overcome the fear associated with exposing our faults. I hope you'll join me in doing just that. Together, we can experience greater freedom and encourage others to do the same. And if you would like to, I would like to do this with you. Just reflect on Leo Babauta's words in his blog post, I failed. Take one step. Any step enlightens the heart. It shows you that things aren't insurmountable or impossible. It starts to dissolve the discouragement and sadness and pain. The single step you take today is the antidote to the soul-tearing effects of failure. So there you go. Now you know... Now, the whole world can know that I'm really, really rich. Sometimes I treat my dogs like crap. I'm a control freak. Sometimes in the Simple Rev movement, that's supposed to be about community and no single person in that community, Uh, not even the dude who created the community. I continue to channel my helplessness or defenselessness into hidden sugar binging episodes, maybe even future video game marathon sessions. I love putting on a show, right? Uh, The guy with amazing relationships still finds ways to mess them up and withhold how he really feels about people. I still work far too much and don't keep some of the commitments I've made to myself and you. Uh, Even letting the bootstrap mindset become a justification for why my business doesn't make money or why I don't focus on money. And I give up shockingly easy on many things that are hard, assuming, of course, that I even test my assumptions in the first place and try one before deciding, eh, nah, that's, that's not for me. I don't know if I succeeded in persuading you that anything that compromises your health and relationships isn't sustainable. That uh, hiding behind a veil and never letting the shadow of your flawed, your dark, your raw side be seen, that kind of thing is unsustainable. That intricately crafting your image on social media, at a dinner party, or in conversation with a stranger, that's unsustainable. Do you, do you feel relieved, though? I, I gotta say, I feel relieved. Uh, I don't know how you or anyone else will respond to this episode, but right now, I feel, I feel good. Uh, the freedom, the, the liberating quality of vulnerability and authenticity... 
Wow. Um, wow. Just wow. You know, I've shared some uh, pretty groovy blog posts and other resources with you. Uh, and I hope you check them out. You'll be doing both of us a favor if you check them out in the show notes at valueofsimple.com slash SASM081. I'm not sure what to leave you with here. <laughs> so I'll just say this. I believe so much of your suffering comes from lying. So much of your pain comes from withholding. If you have something big to get off your chest and you're okay going public with it, like I just did and will continue to do, leave a comment in the show notes at valueofsimple.com slash SASM081. Tell us one thing, one thing that you've been withholding for days, months, maybe even years. It's going to feel good. Uh, But even more than that, it's going to help others understand that this vulnerability authenticity, this intentional living thing, it's to be embraced, not avoided. You can also share with me personally if you don't want to do that publicly. Uh, my email is joel at valueofsimple.com. I'm on Twitter at Joel Zaslowski. And of course, you can connect with me anywhere else you see me hanging out, online or offline. I hope you'll share this episode with your friends. They need to hear this message too, that it's not okay to live your life withholding from the people you love and respect, uh, the people you trust or need the most. I love you for listening and giving me your time and attention. I do, (laughs) especially when I'm puking my heart and thoughts out into a microphone. Thank you. Thank you. I feel really grateful right now that you're still listening. I hope you'll come back for our next episode. Uh, It will be very different than this one. Uh, it's now time for your partner in simplifying to sign off again. You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zislowski, creator of All Things Value of Simple. <laughs>